Yes, the Lord had been raising several matters with us, and you know, He had been showing us the need for us to grow up in stature to match up with Christ. We should not just stay and be satisfied with the status. The status is good. The status is what we attained or what we came into because of the price Christ paid. Meanwhile, the stature is the measurement. God wants us to grow up with the stature of Christ. And they want us to grow up in Christ in all things. In all things. Um, that was the teaching we've been looking at. And then even after that, the other things the Lord had um, you know, shown us the last time I spoke about the unseen realities. I also spoke about the gospel of our freedom. But um, this very hour, I want to talk about the different positions a man can find himself before God. That's going to be my focus. And I'm going to talk on what I've captioned, where are you? Where are you? And then by this, I want to look at the state of a man before his creator, his position. Hallelujah. And as a matter of fact, every man is standing right before God. There's no one hidden from God. As a matter of fact, God is omniscient. He knows all things. And he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And you see, if we know that God is omniscient and, you know, is omnipresent, one, we will not be bothered about Issues that bothers us. Issues that not make us to agitate or to be scared. Because we have a foreknowledge that God is with us. And that he knows our situation. So, you have got to know where you are in your work with God. I don't know how best to actually say this. And I don't know how perfectly to start. But I'm trusting the Holy Ghost to help me. But if there's any issue the Lord wants me to um, confront you with this evening, it's just to challenge you that you have got to be serious with your work with God. As a matter of fact, you're not the one holding on to God. It's God that's holding on to you. But you have got to make conscious efforts to make your work with Him progressive. So where are you in your work with God? Where are you in the assignment He had given to you? Where are you in the commitment he, he requested from you or the commitment you know, that is demanded from you towards the projects he has committed to you? Where are you in your, in your private life with him? I mean, your personal altar with him, your personal work with him. I, I, don't know best, I don't know how best to say this. I don't know how best. Where are you? Hope you have not left that place, God asks you to stay because it seems it is not popular. Hope you have not shifted a ground a little. Hope you have not beginning to entertain certain compromise. Hope you have not begun to react and respond to the all these and you know terrible situations which seems to be and which are obviously contrary to God's promises to you. Where are you? Where are you in your relationship with God? Where are you in God's um instructions to you and i mean to say how much have you been able to carry out judiciously that which god had instructed you to do have you not left your position have you not begin to shift ground have you not begin to shift 
to shift your emphasis? Have you not begin to entertain compromise because you need some money or because you need certain uh, connection or because you need certain utility? Where are you? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 and 13 says, The word of God is quick and, sh- and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divining, to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joint and marrows, and is here the sana of the thought and the intent of the heart. Now, that's not where I'm even going. Where I'm going is verse 13. Verse 13 says, There is, there is, there is, there is, there is, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in the sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Everything is open before God with whom we have to do. So there is no reason why you need to hide yourself or try to cover yourself from him that knows you, from him that made you. And there's no reason why you should feel bad if there seems not to be any measurable progress in the assignment he had given to you. And that's why God is calling unto you, where are you? Now, he is asking where are you, not because he wants to criticize you or because, you know, he wants to actually accuse you of your negligence, of your uh, delay, of your, you know, slow motion, you know, as it were, but that he wants you to come into alignment. He wants you to come to the place you ought to be. He wants to position you where you ought to be. He wants to come back to the place you left off. Is your love becoming good? Is your passion becoming good? Where are you? You see, I have told people that the first way out of any horrible situation is to know the state of things with you. That's how you, you have improvement. That's how the changes come. Know where you are, know the state of things with you. And begin to trust the Lord to project out of that horrible circumstances. Hallelujah. The word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. In other words, one of the ways God positions you is that he brings his word to you and, you know, by his word, he discerns your state, he discerns your condition and by his word also, he fixes you. In other words, the word of God does not just only expose you, it exposes the condition of your heart, then it fixes you, it restores you, it leads you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake, it restores my soul. So God does not just want to know about the, the, the secret or the, the confidential part of you just to make more clear of you know, his intention is to move you from where you are. To help you out of that pit and move you to where you ought to be. In your work with him. In your work with him. The word of the Lord is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. The word of God can descend the state of your spirit. Can descend the state of your soul. And knows the naughtiness. He knows the loss. He knows the temptation in your soul. And he knows how to sift those things out of your spirit. So that your spirit can stand alone and aligned before the Father. But the question is, do you know where you are? Where are you? Are you not on the hideout for God? Are there not shades and shadows 
and things in your life you have been trying to manage or hide out and you are hoping that one day God can take you out of this thing. Maybe you are going to be more serious in your work with God. You have got to remember the fact that you are not the one holding God. It's God that is holding you. So if there's anything you'll find yourself, why don't you tell him about it? Because his word can discern. So if his word can discern, it means that God knows you too, through and through. And he's a designer of the thoughts and the intents of the earth. God knows your intention. He knows your condition. But just like Jesus Christ asked Nicodemus, what do you want me to do? God is asking you, where are you? He knows where you are. You know your hiding place. You know the messes around your life. You know what you are trying to cover. You know those things you are, those horrible things you have stared on in your in, in, in your life, and that has made you sigh a sigh of a, a sigh of grief and a sigh of, of of regret. But God is asking you, where are you? All you need to do for a change is to 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 recognize and acknowledge where you are. Okay, take a stock of your life because God is going to move you from where you are. Maybe you are not satisfied with your work with God because of the nature of your job. You cannot study, you cannot pray, and you are tired of it. And yet you still need to keep to your job because, you know, you have to pay your bills, you have to cater for your family, you have to save up for the rent and all of that. God is saying that, where are you? If you are not satisfied with that, can you come to the Father and say, Father, this is where I am, please help me. In that assignment, in that mission, it may not look as though you are successful. It may look as though you are wasting your time. But God is still asking, where are you? And I think three weeks ago, as I was praying, as I was praying rather, the Holy Ghost spoke to me. He said, Tosin, do not think that you are wasting your time on this project. There may seem not to be any obvious growth or improvement, but he said, I am with you in this project. Stay with it. And he began to tell me why he commissioned me to do that thing. You know, sometimes you cannot reach a conclusion or you cannot know perfectly, I mean to say, know through and through what God is doing with a particular thing in your life. All you have got to do is to submit and obey and carry him along. But it's very pathetic that there are many people God had commissioned, but they have thrown God off. They are only doing it just in performance. But the actual motive of God, they've removed it. I don't know how to say that best, but I think the Holy Ghost will, will help you. And I mean to say that they are only doing what God has told them to do to fulfill all righteousness. I mean to say, as, as I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to say it. Holy Ghost, can you please help me? Just to perform it. They are just performing it. Their art is not there. They are just performing it, but in their art of art, they are in disagreement with God. Maybe that helps to express what the Lord is saying. May God give me all trust to communicate that which he wants me to communicate. So in other words, nobody can hide from God because of two major attributes of God. He's omniscient. He knows all things. And he's omnipresent. He's present with you. So there is nothing you can hide from him and there is no how you can isolate him from your life. He's involved. But consciously involve him. I don't care the mess. I don't care the shame. I don't care the issue. I don't care. Maybe it's unemployment. Maybe it's delay. Maybe it's, you know, delay in admission. Whatever the issue is, recognize the true nature of the Father as a tool to projecting and changing. I mean to say, turning the situation around such that God becomes actively involved and he comes to give you a, to move you forward out of that stock. 
I mean that thing that has stuck to your life. And as a matter of fact, you have got to know that your life is not a problem. You are an answer to whatever problem that you have seen around you ever since. Everyone is an answer to a problem. So maybe that thing you are complaining about, the reason why God had allowed you to be and allowed it to come into your life is because you are the solution. Mordecai told Esther, Esther rather, he said, don't you know, or, or, or would you be able to say, maybe because of this season where the Jews are threatened, that God had raised you. I mean to say, Mordecai told Esther, he said, don't you know that God might have raised you to be a salvage to the Jews such a time like this. So nothing just happened in your life coincidentally. Sometimes they are made to happen. God confronts you with those horrible issues so that he can provoke you to stand up to do something about it. And if it seems you are helpless, you are impotent, you are weak, you don't know where to turn to, you don't know what next to do, why don't you call upon him and let him help you out of it? So you are, not, you are an answer to a problem. And everybody is created. I mean to say everyone is created for a particular assignment. The scripture says no one can be hidden from God. That is everyone is a part of God's agenda. But it is quite unfortunate that not everyone has taken his position in God. And not everybody knows God's agenda for their life, for their nation, for their church, I mean for the body of Christ. And if you don't know the agenda, how would you want to, to give expressions to them? And in fact, there are people who even know God's agenda over their life. And as a matter of fact, at a particular time, they have taken their place. But for one issue or the other, they left their position. It could be financial issue. It could be the cares of this world. It could be, you know. Um, deceitfulness of riches, it could be temptation, it could be hatred, it could be tension, it could be criticism, it could be lack of growth, it could be delay, whatever they experience, and because they cannot bear up with it, they left off their position. God is asking you, Where are you? Are you where I asked you to stay? And do not ask him for how long. All you need to do is to stay there, stay there until he comes and move to the next phase. There will be um, tendencies, and there will be, you know. Reasons to compromise and there will be offers to lure you, to appeal to you so that you can leave your place of assignment. But they are still there. Because God will come back to ask you where you are if he comes and does not find you where he puts you. So never make the next step because everybody is criticizing you and it seems you are a failure. Why don't you stay and hear the next voice? Oftentimes we judge ourselves. We don't wait for God to, 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 to vector, to to, you know, to vet what we are doing and pass his judgment on them. We judge ourselves by comparing what others have done to what we are doing. And that's the beginning of failure and compromise and intimidation. And let me tell you this. One of the programs of the devil to make you timid and make you throw the towel is that he will intimidate you. It's one of the tactics he uses. Intimidation. Shows you glamorously what others have done. Like he did to Jesus. He showed him the glory of the world. And he tells him all you need to have them is just to bow down. He will give you what is obtainable out there. And what you can get cheaply. If only you compromise your value. But if you do that. 
I don't know what we have, but God, we have mercy. So you have got to know God's agenda. You have got to stay there. So God is beckoning on you today. Where are you? Where are you? And do not forget the series of teaching I did on the kinds of art. I mentioned that there are two kinds of art. The pure art and the wicked art. And I said the pure art is the art that is towards God. It's the art of the believer. It's a picture of the believer. And then I said the wicked art is the art that is unregenerate when we had not known God. And I also mentioned that the art is the positioning of a man before God. I went further to state the conditions of the pure art and I stated four kinds as described in Matthew chapter 13 as in the parable of Jesus there. And also I thought on the kinds of birth about two weeks ago and I identified the natural birth and the spiritual birth. Uh, but then what I want to speak on today will be related to those two teachings I've done. So, the Lord is calling us to a reasoning and is asking us a question. Not to balance us, but to, to, to guard us. He's asking, where are you? Genesis chapter 3 verse 9. Genesis chapter 3 verse 9, we are there. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are thou? So the question is not just coming to you first. God had been asking people in different generations that question. But now it's your turn to answer the question. Where are you? Are you still in the kingdom of God? You are outside the kingdom. I'm going to be speaking along the kingdom this time around. All I said so far is just to you know, to steer up thoughts on the inside of you and to show you the reason why you don't need to compromise. But really, I want to focus on salvation and dimensions in salvation. You know, um, the last teaching, I think last two weeks, I taught on the dimensions of growth. I mentioned the physical growth and I said there are stages in physical growth and I mentioned what you need to do to grow physically, eat well, rest well, then you grow. Then I mentioned that there is a stage you get to where your body cannot grow again. But then there is the mental growth that is unending the more you learn the more you are oriented the more you are exposed okay you keep growing mentally and there is the you know relationship growth growth in your relationship there's financial growth then in particular my focus was um having a balance in every facet of your life both finan- both financially both spiritually both academically in every facet of your life and that was why i referenced Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 and 15 you have got to grow up in Christ in all things grow up in Christ in all things uh, but this time around I want to speak to you about our positions before God not just by looking at the conditions of your earth we've studied that rather by looking at the state and then our positioning or the 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 um, categorization God had created I don't know how to say it best Lord Jesus said me I really want to say um, the the platforms or the stages that exist in God and here I'm going to be speaking 
on the kingdom of God. Now, when we say the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God refers to God's reign of the supernatural. Jesus told us to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And everything we need will come to us. Now, the question is, what is the kingdom? Jesus was talking about. Where is that kingdom? And when is the kingdom coming? And how do we know when it comes? Let me answer those four questions very soon. What is the kingdom Jesus was talking about? The kingdom of God, as Jesus referred to, is God's designed operation for man. God norms for a man. Our God is in that life should be lived before the fall. That's the kingdom. It is God's system of operation. I'm going to buttress this, but let's just take that few de- those few definitions. And where is this kingdom? Jesus Christ said the kingdom is within us. When is it coming? It has come. You know, the message of Jesus and John the Baptist and all the apostles is that repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So that kingdom that was at hand came when Jesus Christ died. And there was an access way for us into that kingdom. So the kingdom has come. And when does, I mean, when do we know when it has come? Jesus Christ told us when we know when the kingdom has come. He said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has done. So when we begin to walk in the supernatural, such that we dominate nature and natural causes, and we possess power over devils and you know demons and all the works of darkness is an indication that the kingdom has come because we were in bondage to sin and Satan. And because a servant is not greater than his master, if we were under the bondage of Satan, we cannot cast out devils and Satan. You know, Jesus Christ said, Satan cannot cast out Satan because if he does that, his kingdom will break apart. Okay? So, when Christ gave us power to cast out demons, that power is exercised because we are no longer under the influence, under the control, under the kingdom of darkness. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 explains this. He said, he had delivered us from the power of darkness, that is from the authority of darkness. So, we know the kingdom have come because we have now authority over darkness. So, the kingdom is within us. The kingdom centers about God's kind of life, God's um, norm for a man, what God has designed for man to live in and to live according. It is the will of God that is dominating or that is in control of the life of a man. So, having answered those questions, we can say God's kingdom is God's dominion and will. Jesus thought his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come. What is about the kingdom? Then he answered, because when the kingdom come, the will of God will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, the will be done on earth. So when the kingdom comes, the will of God is done. So we know the kingdom has come when the will of God, the intention of God, the programs of God, the agenda of God begins to find expression in our life. So the kingdom of God is the expression of his agenda. And you see, that agenda cannot be expressed except God had been enthroned. So the kingdom of God is the enthronement of God and the influence of that enthronement, which is the expression 
and the dominance of his counsel. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus called this thy kingdom come. So the kingdom come when the will of God is done here in our sphere of influence as it is done in heaven. But that is not to mean that the kingdom of God is a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And that kingdom is God's dominion and will. Hallelujah. So the kingdom of God is a place, but it's a spiritual place. And it could be a physical place also. So in that wise, it will mean that any place, anywhere the will of God and its truth finds expression is where the kingdom of God is. So what is the will of God in that case? The will of God is God's counsel. The will of God is God's intention. The will of God is God's agenda. The will of God is God's desire. So God is asking you, where are you? Are you in the kingdom? Are you seeking the kingdom? What is your priority? So when we are talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about a realm that is outside the sphere of man. We're talking about the supernatural. We're talking about a world that is invincible, controlled by God. We're talking about a realm that is outside the control of this custom, this cosmos, this system. We're talking about a world outside of the material world. In other words, the kingdom of God is spiritual and it is built around God's pleasure, around God's will, and around God's righteousness, God's nature. In order for us to understand what this kingdom is all about, Apostle Paul describes it. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, Apostle Paul describes the nature of this kingdom. He said, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. So it's not church life. It's not partying. It's not enjoyment. It's not new job. It's not big auditorium. It's not going to the seminary. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not fun. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not pleasure. It's not luxury. It's not church life. It's not your apparel. It's not your, you know, the way you dress. It's not how they chorus, you know, and how ultra modern your church facilities is or are, as the case may be. Then he said, but the kingdom is righteousness, right living, and peace, reconciliation with God, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, in other words, the kingdom of God can be summarized and captured in three things. Anywhere you see those three things, then the kingdom had gone there. And if the kingdom had gone there, then the king is amongst them. Anywhere you see people living rightly, they know what they ought to do. They are living as they ought to, as designed by God. I'm not talking about organization. I'm not talking about, you know, um, ethics and etiquette that governs our organization. I'm talking about People living the life of God. I don't know how to put it. Dear Holy Ghost, in. people whose life are transparent, who whose life are, are governed and controlled by the jealousy of God's love and glory. People who live for the jealousy and the glory of God's power alone are people who had experienced the incoming of the kingdom in their life. Anywhere you see right standing, right living, right doing. Anywhere you see peace and harmony, calmness, no tension, nothing missing, nothing broken. 
anything where you see harmony, a state of peace and calmness. A place where there is no strife. There is no tension. There is no necessary competition and hatred. Anyway, you see joy in the Holy Ghost. Check there, the kingdom of God is there. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the expression of God's nature, which is righteousness, of God's peace, and of the joy of God. And you see, another thing is that if you look at that scripture, the scripture says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. That tells you that this kingdom we exist, we exist rather out of this material world. Because in this material world, nothing exists and we cannot live, I mean to say, actually, without food, without drinks. If you don't eat, if you don't drink water for less than 40 days, you will die. Maybe or maybe not. And if you are, if you are not dead, you know, you'll be so weak, you'll be on your way to the grave. So we need food, we need water to sustain this body. But this kingdom you're talking about is not a kingdom that is sustained by the material things, by the food you, you eat, by how well you dream, okay? By how well you, 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 you go to exercise your body. It's not a kingdom that has to do with how much fat your bank account is. This kingdom is based on the invincible virtues of God's nature. And what attests to this fact is that the only world where mankind do, do eat food is in the physical world. But if there is a world man does not eat food, it's in the, it, it, it is in the spiritual world. In the realm of the spirit, you don't eat food. You feed on the word of God. But in the realm of the physical, you eat food. So when Paul said the kingdom of God... It's not food and drink. It's talking about the fact that the kingdom of God is not the material world. In the realm of the spirit, what God says is what man lives by. That is God's kingdom is centered around God's word and his attributes. It is righteousness, it is peace with God and a living experience with the Holy Ghost. So what then does this mean to seek the kingdom? When Jesus Christ says seek for the kingdom. Of God and his righteousness. Now to seek the kingdom of God. Is to seek the reign. The influence. The dominion of God. Over your life. It means to prioritize God. Above every other thing. That drives man's attention. That is you have got. You've got to major on God. And minor on other things. Now do not forget. Jesus Christ said that the kingdom of God does not come with observation. And that it is within us. By that we understand the nature of this kingdom. Aside what Apostle Paul showed us in Romans chapter 14 verse 17. Then from Jesus' statement telling us that the kingdom of God lives within us. It means that the kingdom is in our spirit. The kingdom affects our spirit. The kingdom is of God rescuing the spirit of a man from the grip and the influence of this present passing evil world is God's rescue program for the spirit and to the spirit of a man. So in that wise, we can say three things. One, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom and is a kingdom of light where a man is made to see his own nature and see what God intends for his life. Number two, 
we can see that the kingdom of God speaks about God's operation and God's work in us. God's dwelling in us. God abiding in us, not just living by your side, living in you and walking through you. Then, number three, we can say the kingdom of God as an access way, as an entrance. Now, see the scripture in 2 Peter, chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 12, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 12. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling an election show. Now, check the word calling. Salvation is our calling. God calling us out of this doomed world. Out of this chaotic world. Out of this confused world. Out of the world that is bound by sin and self and Satan and craves and lust that are contrary to the counsel of God. So Paul said, I mean Peter said, ensure that God's calling of your spirit is a call you really experience. Ensure that you don't just go to church, but the life of God is your living experience, is your life. And when I say your life, I mean it's what you are living. Brethren, give all diligence. Do all it takes to make your calling an election sure. Experience this life of God. For if you do these things, he listed them from verse 5 to 10. You shall never fall, but this is where I'm going, verse 11. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Apostle Peter struck something very sensitive here, which will take me back to Jesus' message to Nicodemus. Now, Apostle Peter said, if you do certain things, which he said, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, um, good works and all of that then he said if you do all of this adding to your faith you add character you add virtue you add tolerance and all of this he said you will have an entrance into the kingdom in other words at salvation we have not entered the kingdom in salvation what you do was that we see the kingdom but as we begin to yield to the holy ghost we begin to allow the Holy Ghost to live through us, which we call the fruit of the Spirit. And all of this, Apostle Peter list, listed from verse, I mean Peter, listed from uh, verse 5 to 10, where what Apostle Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. As the Holy Ghost begins to dwell in you and you begin to feed your spirit back with the Word of God, God begins to flow out from you because He lives from the, from the inside of you. And at that moment, Apostle Peter said, an, an entrance is supplied to you, to the kingdom. So there is the seeing of the kingdom and the entering of the kingdom. And that's going to be my focus for the rest of the minutes we are going to spend together. Now let me give you another proof before we explore that. How do I know that the kingdom of God does not represent a physical agenda or a physical world? How do I know that the kingdom of God does not cater for the ethnic craves of mankind? The kingdom of God is not God telling you, I'm going to give you a job. I'm going to give you a spouse. In fact, all of these craves are the indication that we are still separated from God because we are not seeking God for the sole reason of seeking him, like Revelation. Be- like in Revelation, we have it, you know, I mean, by the revelation of um, John the Beloved, as you have in the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. You are not seeking God because he's worldly. You are seeking God because you look at your life and it seems your life does not fit or match with that of your colleagues. 
you feel your friends are married and so you have to marry. You feel okay, your friends are traveling abroad and you don't have the means, so you think you need God to travel abroad. Now, in this generation, we want to get God to have the things we think we need, but we don't have power to get him. In other words, we want to use God to achieve our goal, not because we are actually hungry for God. In that case, you have not entered the kingdom of God. All you have got to do, I mean, all that is true about it is that you have only seen the kingdom. And you saw the kingdom when you became saved. So the kingdom of God is not church life. It's not, you know, praying and fasting because you need a miracle job or because you need a, a, a windfall. Apostle Paul wrote, he said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Two points. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. It was the same Paul that, it was the same Paul rather, that said that the kingdom of God is not bread and meat. So the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Matthew chapter 11 from the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God suffers violence. And the violence takes it by force. That is, the kingdom of God demands people who are desperate. It's not church life. It's an hunger for God. It's a drive for God. It's a drive towards God. It's a desire. It's following out, I mean, following out after God. It's seeking God for your soul. Paul said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So when God said, seek for the kingdom of God, he was speaking to man's spirit. It is the spirit of a man that can enter the kingdom, not the body, because the body will die. It will be buried. You won't be here forever. You are here for, for a time. After a while, you grow old and you die. And if you don't grow old, maybe something happens, you know, you die. One day, whether by rapture or by death, you will leave this world. But there is something on the inside of you that is meant to enter the kingdom. And the decision you make now with God determines whether you enter the kingdom. And in fact, the way you live your life now is an indication whether, as to whether rather you've entered the kingdom. So when Jesus Christ says, seek for the kingdom, he's talking to those spirits. He's not saying go to church and clench here. He's not, going, he's not saying go to church and pay your offering. He's not saying go to church, you know, and give testimonies or play the keyboard or do certain activities which you call serving God in church. He's a lie of the devil. That's not how to serve God. You serve God by prayers, you serve God by, you know, render services so fellow human beings are in need, and much more. Primarily, you fulfill your ministry of reconciliation, bringing people to God. A service to God. So it is the spirit of a man that can enter into the kingdom. Because the kingdom is not like your house you enter. Now, let me tell you how one sees the kingdom and how one can enter it. But then, what was Jesus saying when he said, seek first the kingdom of God? What was he saying by the word first seek or seek first the kingdom? What does it mean to seek first God's kingdom? First, when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, he intends to show us that we should place our priority aright and that is our priority should be God. We should pay attention on our priority. Where the treasure of a man is, there his heart will be. We should pay attention to where our heart is. So when Christ speaks of seeking for the kingdom of God, he speaks about our attention and our priority. What drives us, our motives. He speaks of channeling our desires, our craves, our plans, our needs on God. 
we should find out God first for our soul before we find other things. Christ speaks about, you know, craving to finding out God's plan and dealing and intention for you. Just as you seek material things. And you know, that what brings this truth to be a ground for us to understand was that Jesus Christ, before he told the disciples to seek first the kingdom, first dissuaded them from seeking the mundane that will not last forever. And it seems to shift the focus of his audience and of us today from the minor things to the major. The minor things are the necessities of life, but the major is God. Now, to know what it means to seek God's kingdom first is to know what it means to seek for unemployment. To know what it means to seek God first is to know what it means to seek for a child after you've been married for five years. To seek for the kingdom of God is to know how much priority you place on your health, on your gadget, on your, on your house, or your automobile. So if you have placed priority on certain things in life and you have ever sought anything in your life so much desperately, if you channel that same affection after God that is seeking first the kingdom, prioritizing God above every other thing. Hallelujah. Why is getting a job or going to school on your list of priority? Because you tie your survival and your sustainability on this. So when Jesus Christ said, seek first the kingdom of God, he meant to say that we should tie our survival and sustainability first, not on material things, but on God. He meant to call our attention on what is more primary in our life and in living. Now, Jesus didn't say, you don't need the house. He didn't say, you don't need the job. He didn't say, you don't need to marry. He didn't say you don't need to cater for your family. He meant to show us how to position our lives and how to live rightly by setting our priorities aright. That was why he said, seek first the kingdom, not just the kingdom, and the righteousness of the kingdom. The principles, the procedures, the kingdom is meant to run by. Now, let's read Matthew chapter 6 from verse 19 to 34. It's a very long passage of the scripture. Matthew chapter 6 from verse 19 to 34. Very interesting also. Let's just go through it. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and trust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy where thieves do not steal in and break. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eyes. If therefore your eyes is good, your whole body will be full of light. Here Jesus Christ was talking about focus. But if your eyes is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Focus is the key. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Talking about focus. For either you will hate the one and love the other. Or else you will be loyal to one and despite the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. So when your attention is not placed on God, rather placed on your urgent needs, which are good in themselves. Like we saw in the parable of Jesus Christ. What made certain people not to bear fruit? 
are because of good things such as the care of life. And it is necessary. You've got to pay your rent. You've got to be a responsible parent. You've got to be a responsible child. But you will not do all of this at the expense of your work with God. Nothing should stand within your life the way E.M. Bound put it. He said, it is better of the work goes by default than prayer to go by default. Priority. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Don't let your inadequacies, what you lack, affect your relationship with God. Don't let that new employment so much take your time that you don't have time to pray. You don't have time to fellowship with the believers. Don't let it quench the fire the Holy Ghost has once kindled. Don't let it turn your face off God. Therefore, I say unto you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Somebody said that what Jesus Christ is saying here is that he's teaching us how to be lazy, no? God is an excellent God, and Jesus too exists when he came here on earth. In fact, he taught as one that has authority. That was his profession. And I believe he does, I mean to say, he did his carpentry works very well. God is not talking about settling for less or being a mediocre year. But he's saying that you have got to set your priorities right. Number one. Number two, he's telling you you have got to be focused on one thing at a time. You know, there is a way the devil can rob you using what you need to lure you out of God. And you will not know. There is a way the thought of the quench, I mean, the thought of how to pay the next bill can quench the fire of God in your spirit. You will not know. There is a way urgentness, urgent attention, your sister that is sick in the hospital, you don't have money to pay, can quench your zeal and make you to begin to despise God even from your heart. After all, the scripture shows us over and over that a person can speak from his heart. From his heart, rather, without opening his mouth. So the art can talk. And God seeks the art. He judges the art. So there's no laziness. There's not signing up for a life of poverty. But God is saying that there is a way to live. Let God be the priority. Therefore, I said to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is taught life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the best of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into bands, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a stature? So, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Look at the two instances Jesus Christ is given to us the best of the air and the lily in the field. They never toil nor spine. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not added like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things, for after these things, for after these things, the Gentiles seek. So the sign of an unbeliever is doubt, is worry, being bothered about their sustainability. 
If God is your father, you are not a Gentile. If you are connected with God, God is saying that, look, do not bother. He does not say do not plan. But don't let it worry you. Don't let it preoccupy you. Don't let it be that what drives you, even towards God, you know, or what affects your attitude towards spiritual things, is what you have at hand. There are people, if there is no money in their hand, they forget God. They worry so much and begin to raise questions. How are which God will raise a generation of Christians like Job? But now we have the greater than Job. The Holy Ghost is here to help us. Man, who would not tie their work with God to what they gain? Who will say like Job, though he yet slay me, I will trust him. He said that you don't need to worry about the basic necessities. And if you check the scripture, really, what Christ highlighted here are basic necessities. Things we can't do without food, clothing, housing. And Christ said that's not the essence of life. There is more to life. But he said, rhetorically, is life not more than clothing and food? And you see, if what commands your attention, what drives you the most is what you put in your mouth, you have not started the work with God. Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after these things, the gen- the, do the Gentiles seek? is a sign of the unbelievers. People who don't know God. So what should I seek? What should be my priority? What should I look forward to day in and day out? He said, but first seek for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, before I go there, there's a statement I skip in the scripture. He said, for after all this is the, this things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things. If God is your father, he will cater for you. That's another truth Christ brought to light. But seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, For tomorrow we worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Another address of Jesus to the spirit man is found in Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14. He says, Enter ye at the right, at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in their it. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few be that find it. Jesus said we should not strive for anything. And he called our attention specifically that there is a narrow road where we can access our direction in life. He said we should strive to enter by the narrow road. And Jesus, by this address, was not speaking to the body of a man. He was addressing the spirit of a man. So the spirit of a man is not a creature of time. He is an immortal and eternal creature as God is. And it's more alive. So in most of Jesus' teaching, he addresses the state of that man. Because the abode of that man is in the spirit. He does not live in bricks and mortar. He does not feed on bread and beans or on spaghetti like we feed on. Jesus Christ said, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, Jesus was not talking about the physical man. The physical man lives on food, but the spiritual man lives on God's word. He's fed by God's spirit and by God's word. Now, in Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus, 
we got an insight as to what a man should seek. And as to how a man seeks the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus Christ mentioned two things. Seeing the kingdom and entering the kingdom. He told Nicodemus about new births and he explained what he meant by this birth. Then he said, the effect of new birth is that it opens the eyes of one to see the kingdom. It makes you to see the kingdom of God. It makes you to understand God's system of operation. It makes you understand what God is doing in the world, in the church and in your life. Then Christ then went on to speak about entering the kingdom, which he inched the qualification of on being born of the spirit and of the waters. In other words, there are three things we picked. From Matthew chapter 6, Jesus Christ spoke about seeking the kingdom. From John chapter 3, Jesus Christ speaks about seeing the kingdom and entering the kingdom. And then my stand is that seeing the kingdom and entering the kingdom are two different experiences. So I believe that Jesus was talking about two things here. One, man's salvation experience which came by faith is a state that opens the eyes of one to see the kingdom. And number two, that entering the kingdom includes relationship with the Holy Spirit and submission to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So, when Christ told Nicodemus, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, Christ was speaking about man's salvation experience, which only comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in a physical bed, a man and a woman meet sexually. But in the realm of the spirit, there is nothing like that. What happens is that God releases his spirit into a man by the Holy Ghost upon hearing the gospel. And as the man believes, he is saved. In other words, there are two kinds of a birth. The physical birth and, you know, the spiritual birth. Now, Apostle Paul told us that with the heart we believe unto righteousness, unto being right with God. And when we confess this, the reaction of the operation of God's word in our heart results into salvation. So, just as a man meets his wife and releases the spermatozoa on the inside of the woman, in the same way, when we listen to the word of God, God releases himself on us. And that's how spiritual birth takes place. So, Jesus called salvation singles kingdom. In other words, salvation is the illumination of the mind of the spirit to see God's kindness and to embrace it. Now, it's also pertinent to say that salvation happens when one believes the gospel. It's also meant to say that God's dealing with a man is around his heart. God's transaction begins with a man when he lay hold on his heart. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. Now, let me show you two scriptures from Romans chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 6, I mean, Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. But God be thanked that here we are the servant of sin, but ye have obeyed from your heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. 
Being then made free from sin, you became the servant of righteousness. In other words, salvation happens when you believe the gospel. And we see this truth revealed in all the scriptures. In the book of James, in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Philippians, in Galatians, in 1 Corinthians, all through the scriptures. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, Apostle Paul calls salvation divine illumination. That is, salvation is God shining the light of the gospel to us and we came saved because we believe with our heart and we confess with our mouth. And now, when you believe in your heart, nobody knows, like the case of Cornelius. As Peter was preaching, he received the Holy Ghost. In between the message, Jesus, I mean the message of Peter to him, salvation took place. There was no altar call. And Apostle Paul John says it another way around. He said the light shines into darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it because the light overpasses the darkness. And the light there is the gospel. So the gospel is God's light in our darkness. But then salvation does not take place until one receives the message, submits his will and existence to God through faith in the works of Christ. Now, let me show you Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32. But call to remembrance, Apostle Paul was writing, the former days in which after you were eliminated, you endured a great affliction of suffering. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32. In other words, salvation from the scripture is called divine illumination. And upon this illumination, salvation is anchored. Now, see another reference of the scripture in James chapter 1 verse 18. James chapter 1 verse 18. Of his own will begat us he with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creature. Now, mark the word begat us with the word of truth. Now, what is the word of truth? He began us with the word of truth. What is the word of truth? What does Apostle Paul, I mean, Apostle James, refers to the word of truth? Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 answers the, that question. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In whom you also trusted, after you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that you believe you will see with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the endless of our inheritance, unto the redemption of the purchased possession, and unto the praise of his glory. Now, the word of truth is the gospel. The testimony of Jesus. And that is what Christ did for us. Now, let's see what Apostle Paul told the Corinthians Christians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also ye have received, wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, you hear that? Salvation happens when you believe that which is preached unto you. Now, let's read on. Unless you are believing in vain. For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, the third day, according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. Now, this is the basis of our salvation. Faith in Christ is what brought us salvation. Faith in Christ is what brought us salvation. So what is salvation? Salvation is the faith in the Christ we did not see. We did not know who, 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 who killed him when he was killed, when he was buried, when he resurrected and went to heaven. But we believe nonetheless. That is faith. And that faith brings about salvation. That is why First Peter chapter 10 says that the end result of your faith is the salvation of your soul. So salvation is our calling. 
God called our spirit out of the cage of Satan, out of the influence and the grip of this world, out of the deception of the world, which leads to eternal dimension. Now, let us understand the other statement Jesus Christ made, which he calls entering the kingdom. Now, there are two positions here Jesus is showing us. The position where we see the kingdom is a position Christ called being born again. Then, there's another position he calls entering the kingdom. I believe that these two positions are two different experiences in God. And I believe they are different positions because they are different experiences. Now, let's see what Christ calls entering the kingdom. And we'll see what it meant actually by what it means to enter the kingdom and what happens when one enters the kingdom of God. Now, John chapter 3, verse 5 and 8. John chapter 3, verse 5 and 8. Jesus answered, Very liberally, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listed, and thou heareth the sound thereof. But cannot tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So it's everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, Jesus made a profound statement here. He made clear to Nicodemus how that he can't comprehend the spiritual transaction that leads to the birth of a man in God. Because this process is highly spiritual. Now, interestingly, Jesus Christ said, being born of water and the Spirit is entering the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus recognizes the place of the Holy Ghost in redemption and in granting the believers the ability to walk the Christian life. The two experiences recognizes the grace of God and the workings of the Holy Spirit. So, seeing the kingdom is the salvation of is the salvation experience while entering the kingdom is the relationship and fellowship with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the first experience of seeing the kingdom is salvation. And the second experience is the Holy Ghost giving you an experience, an experience of what you saw by the workings of God in you. So, why verse 3 of John chapter 3 speaks about the salvation experience? Verses 5 and 6 of the same, of the same chapter speaks of the relationship of the believers with the Holy Ghost or speaks about the baptism and the Holy Ghost. Now, see what Jesus explains in Matthew chapter 18. And by what we have in Matthew chapter 18, we understand what it means to enter into God's kingdom. He said, entering God's kingdom is being led like a child. In other words, speaking of entering the kingdom, Jesus spoke of the spirit life. He spoke of being led by the Holy Ghost. He speaks of the place of submission to the spirit. He speaks about walking and living the spirit. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 5. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 5. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily, I say unto you, Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall receive one such little child, in my name receiveth me. This reference is clear. Salvation experience is seeing the kingdom. But being filled, being led, and walking in the in the Holy Ghost is entering into the kingdom. Jesus Christ said, Except ye be converted and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So entering the kingdom is being led. And being led by the Holy Ghost. That's the point I'm making. Now, what is your position? Are you seeking the kingdom? Have you only seen the kingdom, but you've not entered it? Or have you entered the kingdom? Three positions. It's either you are seeking the kingdom. It's either you are seeing the kingdom or you've seen the kingdom. Or it's either you have entered the kingdom. But the goal of God is that we should enter the kingdom. That's the goal of God. Because entering the kingdom is experiencing God. And what's your position? And you know this whole description as a typology in Joshua chapter 13. Joshua was old but there are areas of land he had not taken over for God. Just like some of you claim to be saved there are areas in your life God had not taken over. God had no say. God had no access. God had been banished. You have shot the voice of your conscience against what God is telling you. A man can be so long in church and there are still issues in his life under the contention of the Holy Ghost because he won't yield to the Holy Spirit. Such one is saved but is not yielded. He is sexual and carnal. The case is that he has only seen the kingdom, he has not entered it. Because entering the kingdom is living the spirit life. Now, Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. Now, Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there, and there remaineth yet many much land to be possessed. Now, there are three classes of people, those seeking God's kingdom, those who are tired of their life and current experiences and are hunger for God but don't know how to get him. The second category of people are those who have seen the kingdom. Those who have received salvation through the gospel. Those who have been in church. Who have listened to the gospel message and believed. But they still feel some vacuum on the inside of them. They still feel unfulfilled because there is a place God should be enthroned on that he had not been enthroned. And the third category of people are those who are living the kingdom life. Walking in the spirit. Conquering the flesh, the lust, and the desires of sinful nature. These are the people who have entered into the kingdom of God. And that is where God wants to be. But the question is, where are you, brother? God is calling you, where are you? Are you hungry after righteousness, but you don't know how to get it? Is your heart pure? Or does it still remain black and wicked? You need to cry to the Lord to place his spotlight on you. So as to help you to detect the condition of your spirit. Genesis chapter 3 verse 9. Like I started. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him. Where are thou? God is asking you where are you? And really where are you? Are you not naked? Has he not taken away your covering? Are you not even hiding? Are you not hiding from God? Where are you? What is your life like? 
what are the secrets you have been hiding for ages from God, from your pastor, from your spouse? For how long will you hide it? Why are you giving over those things that will not profit you, that will not add any value to your life? What are, the, what are those things that have become, you know, strongholds in your life that you may need God to help you wipe them off? Do you look gentle and quiet in face? But you know you are terrible and bad within. Where are you? What is your position before God? Or you are like Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jew, but who does not know God? Or your heart for God is so tiny, no passion, no drive. No drive. No desire, no passion for the coming harvest. Meanwhile, Christ had been made an offering for you. You have, off, you have accepted that offer, really? That is, you've accepted the fact that Christ was offered for your sin. But have you pressed further than that? Have you seen God's kingdom? Because to see God's kingdom is to see how God designs life to be. How God designs you to operate. How God designs you to live. Well, have you started living that way? Now you've received the gift of righteousness. But, but have you begun to bear the fruit of righteousness? Have you allowed the Holy Ghost to take control of the affairs of your life? Jesus Christ said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Also, except he is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. You know that what the only condition given to man to understand God and God's plan for his life is to be fathered from above, is to be influenced by God. Mark, Jesus did not say, except a man goes to church, or except he sings in the choir, or except he's a pastor, or except he's a multi billionaire, or except he's a landlord, or except he works in a multinational company. No, but he said, except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot understand God's plan for his life. In a certain scripture in John, Jesus Christ said that whoever believes in me will not walk in darkness. Except a man is born again, he's in darkness. Except a man is born again, he's hungry. He's a slave of the devil. And a slave will not abide in the house forever. Hallelujah. Now, when Jesus said we should not seek what we will eat, what we will wear, we should not seek the attention of man. He's not saying that we should not honor men. But that we should seek God and look up to God for everything we need. That's what it means to seek God. Now, a man can have a position in the society. He can have a position in the church like Nicodemus was the ruler of the Jews. But does not know anything about new birth. And there are two births. If all you have experienced is just a single birth, there's a catastrophe somewhere. And what does it mean to be born again? To be conceived and to be delivered by a father that is in heaven. Now, by Jesus saying that, saying that you have got to be born again, it means, basically, that you have got to experience a birth again. Basically, the word again suggests two kinds of birth. It means um, to do something one more time. It means once more that this, there is one birth into the physical world. Meanwhile, there is another birth into the spiritual world. And this birth happens not by the will of man, but by God. God birthed you and he himself remains your father. 
Meanwhile, on the other end, the Greek word for the word born again suggests to be father from above. God should be your father. Speak, speaks of, of a spiritual a spiritual birth into the family of God. Have you been born again? Have you experienced the second birth? Where are you? Where are you before God? Where are you in your commitment to God's work? Where are you in the assignment he has given to you? Where are you in your press and desire for the things of the kingdom? Is your heart not cold? Are you not indifferent to the things of the spirit? Where are you? Have you experienced the second birth, the new birth? The birth of the spirit of a man into the kingdom of God? Where are you? God is asking you, where are you? Because he wants to take you further. He wants to grow up in him. He wants to take you further. John 3, verse 6 and 7 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. You must be born again. The born again experience is a must for everyone. Everyone must experience that birth. As long as you experience the first birth, which was a result of sexual intimacy between your parents, the second birth is a must, except you'll be eternally lost. And this spiritual birth is so difficult to explain. Jesus Christ told Nicodemus, except a man is born again. And he explains what I said, what is born of the flesh is flesh. And what is one of the spirit is spirit. So there's this flesh birth and there's a spirit birth. And what is born of the spirit is born of God. Pathetically, you may be 50 years old, but you have only experienced one birth. And that is dangerous. That is deadly. That is eternal dimension. As a matter of fact, we all came from God, but we won't all get back to God because of this new birth issue. It is only those who have been born by God that will get back to him. Spiritual birth is experienced when you believe. Believe what? To believe that the earth revolves around the sun or to believe that Chelsea will win the next match? What is the believing about? To believe that Jesus was bruised for you. Jesus was made an offering for your sin so that you can do the counsel of his mind. Time will not permit me, I would have read from you. I mean, I would have read for you from Isaiah chapter 53. And when you become born again, sometimes you don't know. Just as you don't know when a woman takes in. But as the baby grows, the experience. So feelings is not salvation. So when you become born again, you can't explain it. Nonetheless, you must be born again to know what it even means to be born again. It takes a goat to be a goat or to know what it means to be a goat. And it takes a lion to know what it means to be a lion. So it takes being born again to understand what it means to be born again actually. Because this born again experience is not speaking to your brain, it's speaking to your spirit. It's your heart that is in question. John chapter 3 verse 8. Jesus Christ told Nicodemus, The wind bloweth where it listed, and thou hearest the sound thereof, 
but cannot tell where it comes and where it goes. So it's everyone that is one of the Spirit. In other words, Jesus was saying that this born again experience cannot be understood, cannot be foretold. And don't you think we are talking about dressing well here? Or about your behavior here? Or what you believe in here? Or what you believe is bad? Or good? Or your resolutions? Or being disciplined? Or being morally balanced or standard or disciplined? We are talking about your work with Jesus. We are talking about your relationship with God, which is more serious than any other thing, which is the major of life, which is, which is the main essence of life. This is the eternal life that they may come to know him. Hallelujah. So to be born again, to get to the point in your work with God, where you just don't have God as your God, but as your father. And as a matter of fact, it's pertinent to mention that God is the creator of everyone. And unquestionably, God is over everyone. Whether you acknowledge this or not does not matter. But then, God is not the father of everyone. So to be born again is to push your relationship further. Where God is not just your God, is also your father. And Jesus eventually simplified what it means to be born again to Nicodemus. He said to be born again is to be born of the Spirit. To believe on the Son of God as the Savior of the world. And as your Savior in particular. To believe in his death, in his burial and resurrection. This is the definition of God's for freedom. Freedom is faith in the works of Christ. And knowing the truth of what Christ did to you is what makes you free. John 3, verse 15 to 19 says that, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God does not send his son into the world that into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him I believe. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the, in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and, man, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So if you will do this today, Believing that Jesus Christ died for you, congratulations, you have been born again. You are a baby in God's hand. Jesus is rejoicing over you now. And the heavens is rejoicing over you because you have been battered. But how would you know if you really commit your heart and your life to Jesus Christ? Brother, that's not difficult to know. Sister, that's not difficult to know. You will experience some unexplainable joy and peace. And you, you will literally experience that there is something taken away from you. Your guilt and pains and regret of the past. It may not be obvious, but it is there. Moreover, Apostle Paul told us, with what? And how we believe. He said, with the heart we believe. So, this thing is a thing of the heart. So, now comes the benefit of being born again to God's family. Because you are born again, you have rights and obligation in God's family. 
and you can begin to live rightly because believing brings about right being, right standing, right living, and freedom from that which had held you bound. Salvation is the way out of whatever bondage you've been struggling with. Maybe there are things in your life you cannot control and you've been trusting God to help you gain control over them. The way out is to give your heart to Jesus. Whether you are seeking the kingdom of God, whether you have seen the kingdom of God or you've entered it, the way out is still to cling on Jesus. This stretching, this threshold rather we have come to is a place we will remain forever. Can you stand up and say, Father, put your spotlight upon me and move me forward. Show me the condition of my heart and my state in you so that I can progress. Show me my state in you so that I can progress in my walk with you so that my heart can burn and be all out for you again as never before.